And I just pray that you will help me to uh, speak it clearly, that you'll help each of us in this room to grab hold of it and run with it. I pray, God, that you'll just uh, that you'll speak and that uh, through your word we'll, we'll gain your vision. And so all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start tonight by telling, <clears throat> telling you a story of a young guy um, who made a lot of mistakes, who, who really screwed up a lot of things, uh, but his life was totally transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. He, he made uh, more mistakes than most, maybe. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe not. Maybe there's, there's plenty of people out there that, that live this way and, and uh, have challenges that they face. I mean, every one of us can identify with challenges in life and, and making bad decisions. There's, there's not one of us in the room that can say we haven't done that in some way. But this particular guy, as is, is, uh, God got a hold of his life, um, it rapidly transformed him. And ultimately, uh, when he was young, he could tell you all the answers. He could talk to you about the Bible. He could tell you the stories. He was raised in church. And ultimately, as he grew up, he hung on to all of those memories and all those things that, that he had been taught as a kid. So tonight, as I was listening to these guys sing these songs up here, I can remember even me, and, and, and probably some of you can remember being a child in a children's choir singing in front of your church. And I remember really one of the times that we sang, it was my sister, myself, and my younger brother, and like two other children, we made up the whole children's department in this church that I was in. And um, my mother was the piano player, and we got up there, and we were so nervous that we couldn't even sing. We giggled the whole time. And so, um, I don't know, that brings back memories. But anyway, so this particular guy, you know, that's, that's the environment he was raised in. He, he learned all the stories. He heard all of the, all of the, the um, well, you know, the things that we learned growing up. He heard things like um, uh, Samson and, and uh, learned about... Uh, uh, you know, all those, the Noah's Ark, and all the stories you, you learned growing up. And so, as he learned those things, he remembered them, and he hung on to them, and, and any time anybody talked to him, he could recite them. He could tell you all about them. And ultimately, as people challenged his salvation or challenged his views, he would always revert back to those stories. And he'd always be able to tell you exactly why he believed what he believed, and he could tell you, he could give you the textbook answers. The problem with this guy was, is that his his heart had never changed. His life had never been affected by the truths that they were in God's Word. And, and so when God finally did come in and grab a hold of this guy, when he, when he transformed him, it was radical. It didn't just happen in, in just a little bit. It happened, and, and there was this radical difference in this guy's life. And whether you've caught on yet or not, ultimately, the, the guy that I'm talking about is me. Yeah. I mean... I'm here to tell you that I could have told you whatever you wanted to know that a child should have known in, from the Bible. I knew the answers to the questions. I, I was raised by a preacher, and I could sit and I could tell you uh, different Bible verses, and I could tell you uh, why, what it meant to be a Christian. I could, I could tell you verses, even as a child, uh, about what it meant to be a Christian. Because I had those things ingrained in me. But all they were, were it was just information. All it was was, was, uh, was, was a textbook. You know, it was nothing different than going to school. 
And so I got to be 19 years old, 20 years old, and I joined the military, and I was confronted quite a bit by people who were believers, and, and there was always people from the church reaching out to young soldiers who, whether you realize it or not, there's young soldiers that need Jesus, and uh, I was one of those. And so uh, as they would approach me, I always had the same reasons for not going to church, had the same reasons for, for staying distant from other believers, um, but could tell them exactly what they wanted to hear. And when God got a hold of my life when I was 21 years old, it blew me away. See, all I could do when he came in was respond. I mean, there was really no, there was really no, um, there, there was really no time in my life where I was ever out seeking him. He's always been chasing me. And I realized that because even in the times when he was approaching me and sending his people to me, I was doing everything I could to run from him. But he transformed my life in a radical way. And, and you know, it, it took several years before that growth really took hold. And, and there was a slow time of growth. It was almost like, um, I might have shared with you recently about a pastor who shared with me about some Chinese bamboo. If, if you've ever heard the story of how Chinese bamboo grows, it's pretty interesting. You see, Chinese bamboo will shoot up 60 feet in the air in, in, in very little time. What you don't see happening is that for five years it grows underground, building a root system and structure that can support what happens above the ground. And so there was a slow growth in my life, and there was a lot of trials and a lot of challenges, and, and some of those even bad decisions that I made as a believer. Um, and at one point I was just rebellious, even as a believer. I was rebellious and I was running from God. And my life came to a place where it was spiraling out of control. And I was miserable and unhappy. I had no joy. I had no peace. I had nothing. And I was, I was making decisions and living my life in such a way that had you met me, you never would have thought of me as a Christian. You never would have looked at me as somebody who was a believer. But if you could, see, could have seen what was going on inside of me, you would have known the turmoil and the trouble and the problems, and you would have seen and heard me crying out to God in the quiet constantly. In front of people, I tried to put on a show. In front of people, I tried to, to make them think that it was okay, that everything was going to be all right. I tried to be the life of the party. But when it got quiet, I would go home, and I would be miserable many nights. Many nights I, I would lay in bed and just scream at the top of my lungs, not out loud, but in my mind, for peace and for quiet and for comfort. And I think back on those times and I, and I shared them with you tonight as we start to look at the vision of this church, where we're going to... <clears throat> where I believe God wants us to head because I believe it's out of those things that he's called me to do what I'm standing before you to do.
It's not the average story of a minister who's called when he's a teenager and knows exactly what he's going to do. And he, he gets out of high school and he goes into college and he knows he's headed to seminary. It's not the normal story. And I struggled with that for a lot of years because I thought it just didn't fit. How could God be calling me to do this? How could God be calling me to any type of ministry? Look at my history. Look at look at the things that I've done. Things that I'm, I'm embarrassed to mention out loud in most cases today. But I truly believe the farther I go down this path, that it's out of these things, that it's, that it's this work and this grace and this mercy that I've experienced in my life that He's going to use for the greatest good. And it's that truth in the midst of that. And that and that knowledge that He is unchanging and that He is always there and always faithful. But I think that He wants to use in so many other people's lives that I couldn't ignore this call anymore. Now, I could go on about myself and the experiences of, that I've had, but I, if I stay there too long, I think we'll miss the point of this and we'll be here longer than we need to be. So let me fast forward just a little bit to the point that Amy and I are married. Um, you guys know that, that I was previously married. And you guys know that that, was, uh, that marriage was ended by a choice other than my own. Um, it was a bad deal. But God taught me a lot of lessons out of it, showed me a lot of things. Um, and ultimately, I believe, it's restored me, redeemed me, and, and brought an amazing woman in my life. Tomorrow will be married seven years. But the, the most amazing thing about this was that as, as God had worked in my life and prepared me for what he had ahead of me, I had no idea where it was headed. I had no idea where I was going. I just knew that he was working and he was calling and he was he was shaping me into ministry of some sort. And as he began to do that, he brings this woman into my life. I wasn't even looking. I thought I was going to be single the rest of my life. He brings this woman into my life who has the same call on her life. And I'll never forget, I think I've shared this with some of you, we were married for about, I don't know, about six months and we had some friends over and we were playing Truth or Dare not truth or dare like you did in high school. It was good, clean, good, clean truth or dare. And um, somebody asked Amy, she didn't want to take it there because the dares were making us do some pretty stupid things. And her being the, the shy person that she is, she didn't want to call too much attention to herself, so she chose truth. And the question was, where do you see yourself in five years? And she said, somewhere on the mission field. This is after we, this was us together on the mission. Five years later, we had our first vision casting dinner for this church. We had no idea five years before that that, that we would be planting a church. And that the road to, to this point, the road to, the, to, to stepping out and saying, okay, we're going to try and start a church in Springfield, Missouri, the, the, the capital of churches in our area, you know, we didn't know. We had no idea that was going to happen. But God began to do some amazing things through us and, and in us. He had given us a heart for lostness. Um, for those of you that know us, we've been on numerous uh, 
um, international mission trips. And the reason we went international mission trips is because that was the easiest place to go somewhere and share the gospel. And that sounds silly because there's people next door that need to hear the gospel. But it was it, there, there's an easiness to it, and there's a sense that as you go and you minister to these people, they're expecting you to share the gospel. And so for us, it became that outlet, it became that place that we could do that thing that God had called us to do and share His truth and bring His light to a world that needed to so desperately to hear it. And so we began to do that. We poured our lives into it. And, you know, the first one I ever went on, I'll, I'll never forget, it was, it was actually before Amy and I were dating, uh, or before we were, were uh, married, it was a trip to Nicaragua, and I knew I was supposed to go on this trip to Nicaragua. I thought I was going to go down there and be the great white hope, you know, to this Hispanic people. And, and I was praying Jesus and stand back because Jesus is on his way, you know. That's how I felt. I was so excited about this trip. I was so pumped up. And just before I left, the day before I left, my boss told me, if you go, don't come back. The reason was, was because at work we had a major project going on. We had a major, major project going on, and it was just about to deliver. And it was supposed to be finishing while I was gone. It didn't finish while I was gone. Um, but it was supposed to be finishing and leaving the hangar while I was gone, and so he was not wanting me to go. So he told me, if you go, don't come back. Well, I felt like I was confronted with a choice of I choose my boss or I choose God because I was convinced that I was called to go on this trip. So I left on this trip not knowing what it was I was coming back to. And so in that week, I knew what it was to, to, to let go of everything that I knew of here, to let go of, of everything that I had control of and everything that I could trust in my own power on. And I went and I followed God, trusting Him and His faithfulness completely. And I'll never, I never want to be any other way ever again. But that was what He was doing in Amy and I both. That's what He was working in us together. And as our lives came together, we saw our lives and our ministry begin to work together. And the gifts that he's given us and the abilities that he's given us, he's he shaped us and formed us in such a way that we complement one another in amazing ways. I couldn't have planned this. I couldn't have picked it out. I, I, I couldn't have done this. But he put us together and he gave us this heart for lostness. And, and then on top of that, he gave us this heart for the church. This, this is something he's been working more recently within the last couple of years. And, and he's given us this heart for his people that, <clears throat> that as we look and have had opportunities to minister in other churches and we've been around preaching and teaching in different places and we've seen these little churches struggling but turn so introverted and only caring about themselves and then our heart for lostness, it only made sense that when it all came together, that we weren't to go into a church that was established and already had their routines and was already working out their own little struggles and all they cared about was what music they were playing or what color the carpet was or how many chairs there were in the auditorium. But we knew that we needed to be a part of something new and that was driven to lostness. Because the reality is, is that church is so much more than gathering on Sunday morning or, in our case, on Sunday evening 
and, and, and getting together and, and just listening to someone speak and sing a few songs. Church is our lives together moving in, in rhythm with the gospel. You see, it's the truth of God transforming you and me in such a way that when we step out to the world, we may look different. That doesn't mean weird. We don't have to be Ned Flanders. <laughs> we don't have to be Ned Flanders. It doesn't mean that we're strange or or are seen as weirdos. But, but yes, we're different because we're not living up to our culture standards. We're living transformed by the truth of the God who created the world. Amen. You see, that's, that's what he put in us. And so as he began to speak to me especially, and as he began to, to lay on my heart to, to plant and start a church and, and lead and, and, and cast vision and point in a direction and call people to walk with me and in a sense really to follow me as I followed him, he began to do some very intense things in my study and in my times in Scripture. And I want to share those things with you tonight. And I want you to hear where I've come from and where I'm going. So that as we prepare for our time, for our vision casting dinner, or for, and for times where you have a chance to speak to friends and talk about what's going on in the way, or why in the world find another church? See, I don't think you should have to wonder that anymore. I, I, I feel like I might have failed you in not articulating it clearly enough earlier on. But as I'm going to share with you tonight, this has been a time where God has shaped me and formed me and prepared me and continued to sharpen me and make me into a leader. And so, I, you know... Um, if I stood up here and told you that I had it all figured out, I would ask you to worry. And I am depending on God in every... <clears throat> in every movement. And I'm going to ask you... to do the same thing. I'm going to ask you to follow me in this radical, uh, this, 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 this radical faith that, that puts us in a place where we're no longer counting on what we can do. But we're realizing what we can't do and trusting in what He has always been there. So tonight I want to start with you guys as we prepare for this vision casting dinner. I want you to know first how he sharpened my vision, how he's how he's called me and led me. And some of this you will have heard before. Some of you will have heard the passages and, and heard me talk about how God's used in my life. But I'm going to ask you just to just to listen close and, and and I think that this will not only prepare us as we move ahead, but it will give you greater clarity and understanding of what we're doing and why we're doing it. If you've got your Bibles with you, there's going to be a lot of verses that I'm going to read tonight. But really the place where we're going to, we're going to start and, and, and focus at most clearly is in Acts chapter 2. 
verse 42 through 47. Now, I love this passage, and, and ultimately I think there's a lot of people who use this passage of the Bible um, as, as a demonstration of, of planting a church and starting a church, and their idea as they come to this passage is that the, the perfect church happened at Pentecost, and, and, and some amazing work happened, and the perfect church was formed. And so the idea that a lot of people take as they come to this passage is that we've got to recreate or restructure everything and, and develop an Acts chapter 2 church. And I'm going to tell you that's not what we're here to do. And I'll tell you why. Ultimately, the church in Acts chapter 2 was filled with people. And I can guarantee you what we don't read about is that there were problems in that church because there were people in that church. That's the reality of it. However, there are principles that we can see begin to work in that church and begin to, to, to be demonstrated that are work all throughout Scripture. And so we'll, we'll look at many of those. But there are six principles that I want us to take from this passage. And so let's just read the passage and I'll, I'll break out the principles for you. Starting in verse 42, if you'll just read along with me. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions of good. They gave to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread together in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Pay close attention to see to, to, to what you see happening there. You see, this is a group of Christians that, that when Peter began to preach, he, he gave the very first gospel message on Pentecost Day when, when the Holy Spirit came down and, and, and poured himself out on these apostles. Peter stood up in the midst of the other apostles and he began to preach. He preached the very first gospel message. And he presented the truth of Jesus Christ and who he was and what he'd come to do to these people. And that day, 3,000 people came to believe. 3,000 people came to believe. And it's these people that this passage is focusing on. It's these people that, that committed to the teaching of the apostles, that met with one another daily, that broke bread together, that that live life together. And, and ultimately, if you continue down the passage, you come to, to verse 47 where it says that they were praising God and enjoying all or enjoying the favor of all the people. Ultimately, this was such a radical difference. This was, this was not the Pharisees demanding people to check off boxes and to live by certain rules. These were people transformed by the gospel so drastically that the world noticed it. They saw it. And they had the favor of all the people. You know what one of the base needs of every person is? To be accepted and loved by other people. And when you have a community that's living as a community, it becomes something that's very attractional to a person who desires community. Have you ever felt alone? Have you ever felt like the world's against you? Like... Nobody understands you that man, people would just listen. I'm scared to say the things I have to say. See, this is a community that's living life together in such a way that 
people who are on the outside looking in wish they were a part of. That's a strong contrast of what we see in our churches today. What's attractional in our churches today? The music, the lights, the flash. That's what we use as attractional today. Don't hear me saying that we don't need the music, Jackson. Please don't hear me saying that. We need the music. But it's not the attraction. It's not that thing that should be the first thing that grabs a person's attention. The first thing that should grab people's attention is how God has worked in the people of his church. You see, what we see happening here, there's six things, and, and ultimately, you've seen these, at least five of them, broken out in a very popular book, and I'm not saying that we're going to follow this book, but there's five things that are easily demonstrated here that I think are principles that we must follow and that must be a part of who we are, and in fact, so much so that, that we can't do anything without them. And I'm going to name them off, not in a certain order, a couple of them I think are higher priorities than some of the others, but... They all work so closely together that I don't think you can have one without the other. Worship. Where do we see worship demonstrated in our passage? It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread. Everyone was filled with awe. And they were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. They're filled with awe. They understood God's worth and His value. And they, and they, and they were excited about it and they were singing His praises. You see, they, they, they were worshiping. Evangelism. They weren't hiding in their homes and, 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 and not letting people see what God was doing. The whole thing that started this movement was evangelism. It was Peter standing before a crowd preaching the gospel. It was these people, individual people, who were living their lives together with other believers. And that was evangelizing the world around them. God was adding to their number daily. Ministry. All the believers were together and had everything in common. There's another passage that goes on further in John there in Acts chapter 4 that speaks about that, that no one had a need. Now we're a democratic society and we don't think so much about helping one another in that way. We think of of uh, you know if the word socialism is ever mentioned in our society, boy, it's a dirty word. But this was a socialistic society. They were taking care of their own. They were, they were helping one another. They were, they were working it out. They were doing for one another so that no one had need. Prayer. Do you notice what it says? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. If you were to flip back into Acts chapter 2, you would see that they committed themselves to prayer. They were calling on God. They were asking for His work. They were asking for His power. They were asking for His direction. Fellowship. They lived life together. They met every day. That's unheard of in our world. They, they knew one another's problems. They knew one another's struggles. They knew what one another's houses looked like. They knew where each other lived. That's unheard of in our world. Nobody does church that way. Sunday morning, we go to church. Sunday afternoon, we might go to Sunday school. Or maybe even before church on Sunday morning, we go to Sunday school. And a lot of times, it's the last time we see those people all week long. And then when a problem happens, when somebody's life begins to fall apart, the first time you hear about it is after it's already begun to happen. No chance of ministry, no chance of opportunity to reach out and support 
these people or no, no way to, to work in that before it becomes catastrophic. You see, because we're so disconnected. There's, there's fellowship in this. And discipleship and equipping. You see, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They, the apostles are teaching truth. They were writing scripture. And these people were committed to it. They were learning from the apostles. And we're going to break these out further over the next few weeks. But I wanted to put them in front of you. And I want to summarize exactly where this puts us and, and how this shapes our vision and mission so that you can hear it tonight. But know that in the next couple of weeks we're going to break it out and you'll, you'll see exactly where I'm coming from. And not only will we break it out, but we will give a summary to it that each of us can, can know, we can understand, we can call to mind so that as we're answering questions or speaking to people about what we're doing here, you will be able to speak it back to them. But I'm going to read it out in full tonight. Our vision, our mission is to take these things and put them into practice. To worship and lead others to worship the one true God. You see, we can worship all kinds of things, but it's the object of our worship that really makes the difference. That's the ultimate worship. That's the, or that's the ultimate item. That's that thing that, that encompasses the rest of this. Because everything else we do is worship. As we honor God by living in fellowship and, and discipling one another and helping one another. To worship and lead others to worship the one true God. To be a family that lives unified and authentic lives together for God's glory. To be a community that selflessly serves one another with our spiritual gifts and our God-given abilities. To be a people used by God to share His love and grow His kingdom. That's the vision. That's the mission of this church. And that's, the, that's what I'm going to call you to, 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 to walk along with me and in a sense to follow me. You see, ultimately, we have entered into uh, a relationship with Acts 29 and LifePoint Church. And those are more than just strategic partnerships that are going to enable us to do something. They will help us fulfill this vision. But part of the reason I went to these, to the, to the, to these people was not just a partnership. You see, when we stepped out to plant this church for, well, in fact, everyone in the room should know, if you know, you're about to find out. When we stepped out to do this, we did it without much support. We had gone to the pastor of the church that we were attending. We had gone to speak with the leadership of the church there and they all recognized the gifts. They all recognized the, the direction that we had been heading and they all recognized what God had been doing in our past, shaping us for the future. But as we approached them and told them what we felt like God was doing, it was, well, we can't support you. Well, we'll pray for you. And hey, don't hear me just counting prayer. Prayer is important. God wanted them praying for us. But they couldn't send us with any real financial support or any real commitment beyond that. And that made me check myself. And that made me pray a lot about what was going on in my life and what God, what I felt like God was doing in us. Because what you see happening in the New Testament was not just renegades running off and starting churches and doing their own thing. You see, the church was sending people. And so it began to be that I, I needed to understand that God had truly, truly called me to this. Because if I didn't understand that, then I was going to stand up on my own and ask people to follow me by my own authority. And I can't do that. 
And so I went to Acts 29, and they assessed us, and they looked at our lives, and they looked at where we had been, and they looked at what God was doing in us. They looked at everything that I put together so far from the church plant, and they looked at us, and they said, you know what? Here's some weak spots. We want you to work on these. But we have no doubt that God's called you to do this. Go and do it. And so in, in, in approaching them, I was also uh, approaching Lane Harrison, who was uh, another Acts 29 church. Uh, and I went to him and I spoke with him about what God was doing in us. And he got so excited because he'd seen, uh, well, he was an integral part of what God had done in my life to this point. And so... Um, we began to pray through this, and we began to talk about what role Life Point Church might have in the life of the way. And so, as, I, as all of this began to happen, it began to unfold that you know there was a path that I thought we were headed down, and God kind of changed that up and, and mixed things up. But I stand here before you today, and I'm going to ask you to commit to this and follow me in it, not because I have stood up and asked for authority of myself but because there are people and church leaders who have recognized it in me and said, go and lead these people. And so I stand here not asking you to follow me because I've, I've, I've earned some goodwill, but because this is God's call on my life. And, so, and that's to lead this church and cast a direction and ask you to follow me in it and help make it happen. That's the commitment that I'm going to ask of you over the next several weeks. And you will hear it clarified. You will hear it specifically laid out. You will hear things that we need to be getting done. And, and ultimately, I'm going to tell you, part of why we're not getting them done is because I didn't understand even how to do it. And in many ways, I still don't understand how to get it done. But we're going to work it out. And we're going to move forward. And we're going to follow God in it. And we're going to see this vision come to fruition, not because we got to figure it out, but because God spoke and we followed and He did the work that He's called us to do. <clears throat> part, of, part of what we need to understand, part of what we need to see that will motivate us, and that will move us, that will give us um, some boundaries and an understanding of this vision are what many people call core values. I think of them as core convictions, things that we must hang on to and, and ultimately they're built out of these same passages. You see, these core values are these, these, these ideas that shape and form everything we do are what will help us hang on to our vision and move it forward. <clears throat> the thing that moved and transformed these people was not a charismatic preacher. It wasn't. It wasn't. Um, it, it wasn't the influence that Peter had in society. It was the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that is the first and foremost thing we must always hang on to: the gospel. You, you guys have heard me talk about it. We, we, we've studied it as we've looked at John, but ultimately, this I think defines it more than anything. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. God saw our mess. Rather than remaining distant and disconnected, He came into this world, He put on flesh, and He dwelt among us so that we could see His glory. It says even we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only. 
but came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John 3.16, another beautiful synopsis of the gospel. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. You see what motivated him? That he gave his only begotten son. You see, he sent his son into this world, into the midst of what's going on. The gospel is not some story we just tell, but it's the story of God coming into our mess, making it right, shaping and making a way for us to have hope, transforming our lives, changing us, making us new creations, just as one of these kids read earlier. He who is in Christ Jesus is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. That's what the gospel does to people. That's, why, that's, that, that's the power of the gospel. It makes people new. And we must never lose sight of the gospel. Because if it wasn't for the gospel, there'd be no reason for church. If it wasn't for the gospel, you'd save your time on Sunday. If it wasn't for the gospel, I would never ask you to follow me. If it wasn't for the gospel, I would never tell you to put yourself out there and trust God in His faithfulness. You see, it's the gospel that makes this all worthwhile. It's the gospel that motivates, that moves, that changes, that it does the work. But it doesn't do it because it's just some fantastical idea that somebody had one time. The next core conviction, the core value that we must hang on to is truth. You see, the gospel is the truth. And there's a lot of, a lot of people who talk about truth today because ultimately we live in such a such a culture, you know, true. what's true for you is not necessarily true for me. And then everybody wants to talk about all this postmodern uh, 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 talk and, and, and how, how it's, you do what you want, I'll do what I want, and it's okay. Well, you know what? There's a lot of things. That, there, there's a lot of things in life that that's okay with. I had a cousin who said that her mom spoke about sex all the time. Her sister said she didn't speak about sex enough. You see, something like that is very perspective-oriented. But let me tell you this. When God speaks, and when God says something, and He says this is the way it is, whether you like it or not, that's the truth. That's something you and I can't change, and it doesn't matter what our opinion is about it. He says that Jesus is the way. We don't argue that. Somebody says that you have to baptize by dunking. And somebody else says, no, you baptize by, 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 by uh, pouring. You know what? Let's not worry about that. That's somebody else's argument. That's not ours. Ours is something we must hang on to. We must hang on to the truth. What the Bible says plainly, we do not argue with. What it says plainly in black and white, we don't change. We don't back away from. We don't, we don't try to... Try to uh, uh, soften it, we just say it. Say it just like it is. We need to hang on to the truth. The other problem with truth is, is that sometimes we forget the truth because of our tradition. It's so easy for us to get caught up in the rules and the ways that we do things. You see, when we bring the truth into a culture that's not our own, that looks totally different from ours, as they receive the truth, they respond to it in a very different way. In China, it was so interesting to me that we went into China. I'll just tell you, in China, they do everything upside down. I mean, they don't even build houses right. 
They, they, they build houses, they start at the top, and they build their way down. You know, they, they do get some rocks set down and some poles set on those rocks, but the reality is, is that when they're building their house, they get it stable, not from the bottom first, but the top. To me, that's all backwards. Who does that, right? But we went into China bringing this truth, bringing this message, and asking them to respond exactly the way we would expect them to respond. Putting our convictions or our traditions, I should say, on them. And if they weren't going to respond to it exactly like we thought they should, then we weren't going to count them as a believer. But if they would say the little prayer that we had lined out for them to say, and they did the little thing that we expected them to do, we came home and we told people, this person believed. That's tradition. The truth is the message. The tradition is the response to it. As we come to a culture that is no longer church, because believe it or not, in Springfield, it's no longer a church culture, they may respond very differently than you might expect. We're not going to push the tradition. We're going to hang on tight to the truth. You see, God's word is truth. In fact, <clears throat> in fact, it says in in, in uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scriptures God breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training righteousness. This is the truth. God's word is the truth. And, and we're not going to go to those obscure texts or those spurious texts that, that, that may not spell themselves out clearly and build some heavy drop doctrine on them. And we're not going to try and hang our clothes and our, our, our hopes on some things that people have debated through the history of the church. But we are going to present a message of truth. Proverbs 29.18. Let me just give you an example. And it will also help us grab hold of the vision. I actually want to read it from this. Proverbs 29.18 says this. Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. Now let me tell you how people tend to use that at first. That proverb. They tend to take a message that's about vision and about the vision casting that we see in churches today, and they use that verse. You know what that verse really says? I like the ESV's translation of it because as they as they deal with it, it's no longer just a uh, it's no longer just a revelation, or as the King James and the NASB would say, where there is no vision, the people perish. Let me let me read it to you from the ESV. ESV says, my, my words are too small and it's dark in here. Oh, I'm in the wrong chapter. I turned to 19. I turned to 19. Sorry about that. See, I need prayer. I need help. That's all right. All right, here we go. 29, 18. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. You see, where there is no preaching of God's word, where God is not speaking, people run and do whatever they want. They live in whatever the ways they want to. When there's no truth for a person to respond to, how can you expect them to respond to anything but a lie that the world gives them? You see, this verse isn't about me forming and building a vision statement so that I can put it out for you. This passage drives us to the truth. 
We must fear God's word. And it will give us direction. It will give us boundaries within which we'll live. It will give us a, a, a formation. It will draw us in unity. Because his word is truth. And it will prepare us for every good work. Next, love everything that you and I do, whether you're doing it corporately or individually, is to be done in love. 1 Corinthians 13, 1-3 says, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I am a resounding gong or a clanging symbol. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but I have not love, I gain nothing. You can do the most amazing things. You can do the, the, the most honorable things, but if you do it with selfish motivations and in any attitude other than a sacrificial love, an empty, an empty movement, it will only make superficial change. 1 Corinthians 16, 14 goes on to say, do everything in love. You see, we know what love is because we saw how Jesus acted. 1 John 3, 16 tells us that we know what love is because Christ laid down his life for us. We move that way. That's the call he's given his people. To sacrificially reach out to the people around him. And so as we build on the gospel and as we trust in the gospel and the truth of God's word, we must respond and move in love. Not love like, ooh, you made me feel so good. Love. But a sacrificial movement to meet people's needs right where they're at. Community. Another thing we see demonstrated in the passage. I mean, you think about how these words and how these things are affected by, or not affected, but how this church in Acts chapter 2 is affected by the things I'm speaking about. The gospel was what formed them. The truth was what they were committing to. They were committing to the apostles' teaching. They were reaching out to one another in love. They were opening one another's homes. They were accepting one another just as they were. Was there gossip? Sure, probably so. Were there problems? Absolutely. But they were seeing past that. They were living past that. And they were meeting needs, sacrificially giving up their own wealth so that somebody else's need could be met. And we see them forming a community. One of the greatest, one of the greatest things that we lost in the fall of mankind, not the greatest, but one of the greatest, was our relationships with one another. Our relationship with God was severed. It was irrevocably damaged. We can do nothing to repair it. He had to come himself to make it better. And so were our relationships with one another. As God began creating the world and he got to creating the man, the one thing he looked back on in the entire six days was he looked back on man and then he says this. In Genesis, Genesis 2.18, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And then in Genesis 3, after the fall, you know, here they are in this perfect, beautiful paradise. And, and the passage in chapter 2, it ends with this. And they were naked and not ashamed. And for years, I didn't understand that. Why in the world would they tell me, a young man, that they were naked? Because, you know, that's put pictures in my mind I didn't need. But I realized what that presents for us is that is a picture how open and how close the relationship was. 
But when they fell, the first thing they did was what? They covered up. And automatically there was a division made. And that division is not made just between husband and wife. But men, we don't, we don't matter relate to one another. Women, oh uh, yeah, if you throw in some pedicures and some foot massages, you guys will get together, but it's still a struggle. But see, God's redeemed that. And the gospel has built a new way for us to find community, to find relationship with one another. First Peter, as Peter is writing to these new churches in Asia Minor, he says this, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have a sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. He's calling them to, to live together. As, as, as you come to be a believer and as you see in and, and develop this affection because the word used there, the first word used there for love is Philadelphia. It's an affection. You build this affection for one another and as that happens and that affection is built for other believers, he says, now act in love. So where are we going to find community? It's going to be an acting in love. Saturday was one of the most awesome team building exercises that a, that a guy that went to the military could ever think of. We were taught you beat each other up to the point that you like one another. That's really what it was. If somebody couldn't run far enough, fast enough, we'd turn around and we'd go get them. And we would run back and we would suffer for this for, the, for these people who would fall out. Sometimes I was vain. Don't like them like that. But we would turn around and we'd run back and we'd get them. We would do push-ups. If somebody made a mistake, you know who did push-ups? Not just the person that made a mistake. We all did push-ups. When one person suffered, we all suffered. But you know what that did in our in, in our platoon and in, in, in our little city within a within a city? It made us such a tight team that if anybody from any other platoon, if any other person from any other unit messed with us, we were we were on. We had one another's back. See, because we cared for one another in that way, there was a camaraderie, a community that was developed. And so while I hope that Ron and Stephanie don't have to have a tornado again to, to, to build community, the reality is, is that there's going to be plenty of need. There's going to be plenty of things happening. And the reality is, is that as we form this church, if we'll give up our own desires and look and see what God is doing and we'll commit to this work together, you know what he'll do? He'll build a family. And that would be the thing I think that draws people more than anything. If we'll look at one another and we'll love one another sacrificially, he will build a family. He will build a community. Authenticity. One of the things I think that you see happen in that passage is that no longer were people putting on a show, no longer were people putting on an act. They were being authentic. They were being real. I, I don't want you to come in here with your Sunday clothes on and your Sunday face on saying everything's okay. If everything's okay, say everything's okay. But if somebody asks you how you're doing, be ready to tell them. And if you're going to ask that question, be ready to listen. Be authentic. Be real about who you are. 1 Peter 2.1 says, Therefore rid yourselves of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy and envy, and slander of every kind. We've got to be real. Commitment. Jesus Christ called his followers to stand committed. Matthew 10.22 says this, All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm. You hear that? Stands firm. To the end will be saved. First Corinthians 9:24. Do you know that in a race all runners run, 
but only one gets the prize, run in such a way as to get the prize. Commitment. It's not worth doing this halfway. One of the struggles I think we face as a church right now is because we're on Sunday nights, I, I think that in many ways, and I'm guilty of this too, we look at this just as a Sunday night ministry. Just another thing that we do. The reality is, is that as we move forward, we have to commit to this work. Not because it's mine, not because it's yours, but because this is what God is calling us to do. We must commit. We must give up time during the week to do what needs to be done. We must move forward, committed not to one another alone, but to the work that God's doing through us. And missional living, I'm going to close with this. Missional living. The reality is that God has given us a mission beyond ourselves. The church is one of the only institutions, for lack of a better word, the church is one of the only entities that exists not for its own purpose or its own cause, but for the sake of others. I tried to use this illustration once about the apple tree. I'm going to try and tear it up again and ruin it for you. But when you come to an apple tree, the apple tree bears its fruit, and yeah, there's seed inside of there, but what really benefits from the fruit of the apple tree? It's not the apple tree. The apple tree gets absolutely nothing from the apples, does it? They look good hanging on it. They make birds come and land on it, maybe. All that does is get bird fruit on it. You know, I don't know. What's the apple tree benefit from the fruit? Nothing. We need to be an apple tree. When the world looks at us, they see our fruit, they want to come and take part of that fruit. They want to eat from it. That means that when we get up and go to a restaurant after church, or when we walk out into the world and we walk into our work environment, we let people know that we're believers. We're on mission. We're not, we're not out there trying to convert people. We're just telling a story. We're talking about how Jesus' life, how his story has intersected ours. And we let God do his work. You see, that's missional living. Everything we do is in honor and awe of the God who created us. And that brings us right back to worship. Because everything we do really demonstrates who we worship.